This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, what's good? Welcome back to another edition of the 24-7 Sports Football Recruiting Podcast. I am Blair Angulo, West Coast Analyst for 24-7 Sports. Happy New Year. We've got a big show for you today. A busy weekend in college football, not only with the college football playoff, but also some big announcements. We're going to go in-depth on each of those uh, and the monumental ones and some some shifts out West. We're also going to talk about some of the movement in, in coaching circles Tom Herman is out at Texas. Steve Sarkeesian is in at Texas. We're going to kind of look at, at the recruiting effect of that and also uh, send a farewell to the director of scouting for 24-7 Sports, Barton Simmons. And joining us to do so is the director of recruiting for 24-7 Sports, Steve Wiltfong. Steve, Happy New Year, first of all. And was it weird not to be in San Antonio to ring in the new year? Hey, man. Uh, it was nice to honestly be home with my wife and my family. Uh, but I do uh, look forward to 2021 being back out on the road, doing what we do, seeing these recruits and these prospects up close uh, uh, multiple times. And then obviously that concluding uh, with the All-America Bowl uh, heading into National Signing Day. Yeah, it, a lot of optimism, I think, right, between us and between kind of the, the industry. And, and when you look at recruits, especially in the 2021 class that were affected, you hope that those prospects in the 2022 class get a chance to, to open things up and hit the road and take visits and all that. So a lot of optimism heading into 2021. There were a few schools that kicked things off on, on the right foot. Let's start with USC and at the top with Corey Foreman, the number one player in the composite. He's a five-star defensive lineman from Corona Centennial in Southern California. He's staying close to home and picks the Trojans. The USC Trojans also got Sierra Wright, a four-star cornerback from Los Angeles. So during the All-American Bowl Declaration Day special, USC makes headlines as they usually do. Look, man, it's cool to go to USC again, right, Blair? I think that that's my biggest takeaway from them landing Corey Foreman and Sierra Wright a year ago. They finished number 64 in the 24-7 sports recruiting standings. I know it's a small class. They finished 12th out of 12 in the Pac-12. Right now they're up to number eight. They're number two in the Pac-12, and they have you know many of the West's best prospects already committed right now. Corey Foreman and, and, and Jackson Dart, Julian Simon, Miller Moss. They flipped Kyron Ware Hudson from Oregon, uh, Prophet Brown, they, they keep in state beating out Oklahoma and, and obviously uh, Sierra Wright, Oregon, Michigan, and, and Notre Dame. But let, let's just start with, with Corey Foreman. If there's no season this year, if the Pac-12 would have not played ball, this would have been a significant recruiting advantage for the other programs, not in the Pac-12. And maybe we see Corey Foreman back in Clemson's class 
or maybe he's with Georgia or, or LSU, uh, but getting an opportunity to see USC play this year and advance to the Pac-12 title game where they didn't have a spring ball with their new defensive coaches. They barely had summer workouts, and it was kind of a mismatch fall camp uh, uh, for USC to show the improvement they did and the promise that they did under this staff. Uh, I think that that's, you know, those answers some questions for Foreman because he already had a strong relationship with them. He wasn't going to not pick USC because USC wasn't going to do a good job recruiting him. I think USC had to give him a reason to stay home and, and they did that this year and he's already signed and, and, and ready to go. And that's going to be massive for recruiting guys like Damani Jackson and, and, and these blue chippers in the 2022 class, because we were starting to see some of these elite guys out West uh, head to Clemson and, and head to Alabama and even worse, go to Oregon if you're Kayvon Thibodeau and Flo and and, and Sewell and, and some of those guys that USC's traditionally had so much success recruiting just in the West that I think Corey Foreman helps you uh, in so many ways in addition to just what he's going to bring to you on the field. The hashtag that they've started on social media hashtag take back the West and if that's a direct implication of what they want to do in the region to beat out the likes of Oregon, to beat out Washington, to beat out Utah and UCLA and ASU, all schools that have been contending for some of the same prospects. But I think for USC to be able to take the next step and really wake up from this slumber because they're missing, they're a missing piece, much like Texas, of which we're going to get to in, in the second segment, much like Texas, USC is one of those missing pieces that we don't talk about in the conversation for the college football playoffs. So they're doing it on the recruiting trail now, getting a guy like Corey Foreman. They might not be done. I know they're they're really high on the list for Rajon Davis, the, the former LSU committed, another local prospect in Southern California. So if USC can get the ball rolling on the field, I think that, that's, that could spell a lot of trouble for not only Oregon and Washington and other schools out West, but I think some schools uh, across the country. You know, when they were winning national titles with, with, with Reggie Bush and, and Lendell White and Matt Liner and those guys, they obviously had tremendous skill players and on both sides of the ball. But th where they're struggling right now is just being physical and tough at the point of attack. And, and recruitments like Corey Foreman, who's a tone setter up front, you know that these these are recruiting wins that again, it makes your roster stronger at that key position to help you contend in those New Year's six and, and, and potentially playoff games down the road. I agree. I, I, I mean, completely agree. Look at what Oregon was able to do in the Coliseum a few weeks ago to win the Pac-12 championship with a younger roster, but just more physical in the trenches. And, and that ultimately gave them that, that victory and, and led them to the Fiesta Bowl. Clemson, Steve, didn't get the job done on the field against Ohio State in the college football playoff semifinal but they did make a resounding noise and, and a resounding statement uh, to kick off the new year with, with five-star offensive lineman Tristan Lee committing and, and obviously signing with the Tigers. Yeah, Tristan Lee becomes the jewel of a Clemson class that ranks number four nationally. And talking to him uh, this week leading into his decision, you know, he had indicated that LSU had led uh, for a while and then Oklahoma uh, led for a while after that. But he reset his recruitment at the end, Blair, and just started over. And his mom said that too and said, we're going to do a final meeting with our final six schools and 
we're just going to start from scratch and evaluate what's best. And, and Clemson had like 20 people on a meeting with them. And then Davo Sweeney just, just finished it off. And, and I, I think that when he weighed everything alongside each other and, and, and kind of erased the, the, the uh, bells and whistles of a visit, even if it's a pandemic visit, he obviously settled on Clemson. And I think program culture was big. The Paul Journey program that Clemson has uh, was, was, was huge in the recruitment for life after football. And, and then, you know, just the opportunity to play for championships uh, um, for a coaching staff that he believes in, you know, I, I, that, that gave him the issue. So when, he reset, when they reset the recruitment, and, and, and then all of a sudden you got all things even and Clemson gets a chance, all things even to uh, bring this home. You, you like their chances and, and, and Dabo Sweeney and, and his staff, they had Tristan Lee on campus for their big junior day, exclusive junior day last January. And, and Tristan Lee was part of that group where so many guys that are in this class now uh, were, were in town. And even though he hadn't been to Clemson since last January, he'd been to, he saw them beat Florida state two years ago. Obviously they didn't play Florida state this year. That was in the news all fall, <laughs> but he went to a game, he visited twice. And then the, the zooms with the, the Clemson coaching staff, and then him making a decision just based on uh, information is what that was you know, important to him is, is what did it. And, and you started the show with, you're, you're hopeful that 2022 prospects can get out on the road and see some schools and me too, man. But I also think that if these prospects attack the recruiting process with the mindset of just gathering information, they got a lot of intimate one-on-one time with coaches in this 2021 class that you don't get, uh, you didn't get in past cycles because these Zoom meetings were one-on-one. This was a lot of hard work for college coaches to recruit this class. There were no big group visits where they could shine a bunch of bells and whistles and, and, and talk to three or four guys at the same time and have a big group general talk on your program. That, that general talk was given individually hundreds of times. And, and, and so uh, uh, for Tristan Lee, I think it particularly paid off. I think that's definitely very interesting, Stephen. I think that's going to be a topic that we can discuss in, in maybe the weeks to come. Uh, um, just how the layers of of recruiting changed in 2021 and, and how things could maybe look different in, in this year, because I've heard from from several player personnel directors at, at Power Five programs saying, hey, you know, this was a positive in some ways because we started to really focus on certain aspects of a recruitment instead of, like you said, having to worry about uh, multiple visitors on campus and making sure you're, you know, having the tours available and and all that. I feel like they were able to really build relationships. And I think there's a lot of tight-knit groups heading into college amongst the recruits and amongst the the families with those coaches as well. A&M, was not in the college football playoff. They got stuck with the fifth seed, but they did kick off the new year. Similarly to Clemson with, with a big bang, they got two four-star prospects, Jordan Gilbert, a safety from the state of Louisiana and Elijah Judy, a four-star defensive end from the state of Pennsylvania. What are the Aggies getting in, in those two prospects, Steve? Well, they're adding to just what the way they've been building this, this team over the last few cycles is A&M is uh, sitting at number seven in the 24 seven sports recruiting rankings. This is tracking for a third straight 
top 10 class. Maybe they still finish in the top five, which would be the second time in three years. They were number six last year, and they've just really overhauled this defense. That's number one in the SEC this year, and they're they're adding more difference makers at the point of attack with Elijah Judy, a pass rusher, joining the versatile prospects and Shamar Turner and Tamizi Adelaide, the two top 50 consensus guys for the composite uh, 24-7 sports composite, just that's a menacing defensive line group with, with a lot of potential. And, and you add Jarden Gilbert to Kendall Daniels. Kendall Daniels may is arguably the best safety in this class. He's certainly on the short list uh, uh, with the versatility he brings on the back end of the secondary. And Jarden Gilbert's another guy that can play a lot of different positions uh, on the back end. When, when Texas A&M, when this new staff got to College Station, they inherited a secondary where I'm not sure many of those guys play any offense in high school and you look at the the guys that they have recruited now and how athletic they are deuce Harmon included uh uh, they they've really just upped the the physicality and length and athleticism on the defense across the board and and elijah judy and jardin gilbert were two more big pickups they beat georgia for judy they beat lsu for Jarden Gilbert. So those are obviously teams that they have to play against to win the SEC and they're winning recruiting battles against them. And, and, and so this isn't just A&M's not just having, they're not an evaluation and develop program. They're, they're beating blue chippers uh, or they're beating the top schools in the SEC for recruits. And it's starting to show up on the field with the season they had this year. And there's certainly going to be a school that you have to mention in the college football playoff contention uh, moving on. There were a few other notable commitments over the weekend. Armin Bethea, uh, an offensive lineman from the state of New York, committed ASU. Mississippi State landed four-star defensive end Deontay Anderson from the state of Florida. Wyndon Ho'Huli, the number one prospect in the state of Hawaii, committed to Nebraska. He's signing in February. Never visited Lincoln, so the Huskers get a good one there. Terrence Lewis, a composite five-star linebacker from the state of Florida, commits to Maryland. Um, And we also had Quadir Darius Davis, a former USC commit, I believe, right, Steve, from the state of Texas headed to Kansas. Any of those stick out to you? Well, obviously, Terrence Lewis, right? I mean, he's the number one inside linebacker, according to the 24-7 sports composite, number 16 player overall, joins a Maryland class that's ranked 18th nationally. That's the highest Maryland's ever been ranked at this point in the 24-7 sports era, which dates back to 2010. And, and, they're, they're re- Mike Loxley is obviously an offensive guy and was the offensive coordinator at Alabama uh, for great teams there. Uh, but he knows for his team to what to accomplish what he wants to accomplish in the Big Ten. They need to get much better on defense. They were like 115th against the run this year, and I may that may I may have slighted them a few spots, but you get the picture. They couldn't stop the run. They weren't much better against the pass. Uh, and, and this is a class that um, you look at the top 11 or 12 guys in the class, all but one play defense. And that starts with Lewis, Damian Robinson, who didn't get to play a senior year because of the pandemic in, in the state of Maryland. But coming into the year, he was a guy that we had pegged as maybe the best pass rusher in this class. And then you flip Brandon Jennings from Michigan. Uh, uh, you have two top two, four, seven linebackers in Lewis and, and Brandon Jennings. And, and then you have Damian Robinson coming off the edge. That's a great group a couple more four-star defensive tackles and Tyzee Johnson and and, and Tommy Aiken Basode this is a class that's they really emphasize that side of the ball and 
Uh, uh, Maryland has flashed some over the last couple of years, and this is another class that, that is going to uh, uh, help this program continue to climb the mountain. And, uh, you know, obviously when, when Mike Loxley was hired, uh, he, there were a lot of question marks with his one loss record. And although he hasn't been able to answer that so much in the wins column so far, uh, I think that with the way they're recruiting, we're going to start seeing Maryland wins more games than, than we're, we're accustomed to seeing. And and that wasn't all this past weekend. I said there was more in the recruiting world to kick off the new year. Tom Herman is out at Texas. Steve Sarkeesian is in at Texas. We're going to talk about the recruiting impact of that with more here on the 24-7 Sports Football Recruiting Podcast. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. We are back on the 24-7 Sports Football Recruiting Podcast. I am Blair Angulo, joined by the Director of Recruiting for 24-7 Sports, Steve Wilfong. You can follow him on Twitter at swilfong247. Now, Steve, Texas, making a big move on Saturday this past weekend and wasting no time, really, letting go of Tom Herman and making the switch to Steve Sarkeesian, who had just been named the top assistant in college football. Well, Steve Sarkeesian has obviously worked now for two of the best college football head coaches in the last 20 years with Nick Saban being the GOAT and then Pete Carroll being in that. that. Being the GOAT number two, probably, especially out West. Well, you got Urban Meyer in there. I mean, you you can start arguing, you know what I'm saying, but Pete Carroll was an innovative recruiter with how hard he worked at it. Uh, I think that him and Urban Meyer were the first two to really like figure out Hey man, I'm the head coach. And if I talk to these recruits more, it gives me a distinct advantage uh, over my peers because head coaches were living room guys uh, before Pete Carroll and Urban Meyer made them uh, nine inning guys, or they were closers before, before Pete Carroll and Urban Meyer. And and so uh, Sarkeesian has has seen Pete Carroll and, and was a big part of the success that they had at USC. And then certainly at Alabama, he's seen just the, the extreme detail oriented approach that Alabama has in, in the way they recruit. And, and so I think that, you know, his, his experience now compared to his coaching gigs and when he had the two head coaching jobs at Washington and USC. So, you know, it's a, it's a hire that, you know, I, I understand where people are like, so we, we let go of Tom Herman to roll the dice on, on, on coach Sarkeesian instead of maybe going after someone more, and maybe they did go after Brian Kelly and maybe they did go after James Franklin. And we don't know. I, I mean, obviously it was reported. They went after urban Meyer. Maybe they just love coach Sark and, and, and you know, coach Sark's the top ass- assistant coach in college football right now. And so uh, Alabama's averaging almost 50 points a game. Recruiting isn't going to be the issue with Texas. It's a place where, yeah, they've seen blue chippers leave the state, um, but you know they had top three recruiting classes twice under Tom Herman. Um, I, I, they they started the season with the fifth most talented roster in the country based on the 24/7 Sports composite recruiting average. It's been player development, and and, and Texas has only had one offensive line draft, offensive lineman draft in the last 11 years. It kind of goes back to the point that we had about USC. 
in the first half. They just got to get better at the point of attack. They got to have more difference makers on the defensive line and, and, and more NFL guys on the offensive line. And, and if, if, if they can get better there, I, I think, you know, this is a program that's always on the verge. Texas football is always on the verge of winning more. And it's unfortunate for coach Tom Herman, because, you know, from the outside looking in, you look at a team this year that lost three games. They lost in quadruple overtime to Oklahoma. They lost to an Iowa state team that just won the Fiesta bowl in a game that they led most of the way. And then they lost to a TCU team. That's always a tough out when Keontae Ingram fumbled down the one. And, and so, I mean, again, if my aunt had balls, she'd be my uncle, but it's not like this Texas football team <laughs> that far away. You understand? Yeah. So I think Texas is going to have a very talented football team next year. So Sarkeesian is walking into, this is not a rebuild and I'm not going to, listen to anyone say that it is uh, it might be a, it's certainly a job that's going to have to have some tweaks because Texas wasn't winning at the at the clip that they wanted to and there are reasons for that but this is no rebuild this is a how can we get over the hump higher you know when you look at regions and when you look at territories you brought up something very interesting Texas is going to have to lock in the state right that you're going to have to go up against the heavyweights, the Ohio States, the Alabamas, the, you know, the LSUs, all those programs that go into the state of Texas. I, I think Texas needs to win some of those battles, but given Steve Sarkeesian's footprint out West, you know, having been the coach at Washington, he has a lot of connections up in the Pacific Northwest, having been coached uh, at, at USC and, and having all those relationships that he does in Los Angeles. And, and, and we saw that pay off. By, by Alabama flipping former five-star quarterback Bryce Young a, a couple cycles ago. Um, I'm really interested to see what kind of effect he could have out West. You know, we talk about USC trying to take back the West. I feel like Texas could be a player in California, in Arizona, where they got B. John Robinson uh, last year. Uh, th- this is going to be, I think, a very interesting maybe approach for Sark and, and whatever staff he's able to build. Hey, man, absolutely. And Bijan Robinson's another guy that USC probably lands in the Pete Carroll era, right? But Favorite anyway, player was I mean, Reggie Bush. No question. And his, and his grandfather was a Pac-12 official. Um, but look, Texas, they're going to recruit nationally for elite level guys. But if you evaluate your state right and you don't let future NFL guys go to Iowa, and there's just so, so many – good players in that state to go around that it's kind of like what Kirby smart says at Georgia. We can't take all the good players in Georgia. Got to make sure we take the guys that we take are good players, you know? And so that's not a direct quote, but that's kind of what he meant. And, and, and so for Texas, making sure that you're getting the NFL offensive lineman from in your state. And certainly, yeah, Bijan Robinson, or if there's an elite quarterback, you know, if, and if you want to, you know, go out and, and, and get, um, you know, in, in the 23 class, if you're going to go out. To Malachi Nelson, Malachi Malik Malachi Murphy. Nelson. I mean, all those guys, right. I think, right. know the Sark name. Exactly. But you're bred, if you're Texas, you're still recruiting most of your roster from in the state. Steve, before we let you go, this is kind of a bittersweet moment for us at 24-7 Sports with the director of scouting, Barton Simmons, taking a role uh, on Clark Lee's staff at Vanderbilt. He's the new general manager. He's going to be, I guess, essentially serving as the director of player personnel uh, in Nashville. And this one is, I feel like, a home run hire for Clark Lee and that that program, just having worked with Barton up close for a few years. You've known him for far longer than I have, but uh, 
uh, I think his impact in, in that office and what he's going to be able to bring that perspective, um, just his ability to really dive into tape and evaluations and scouting. Uh, I think it's going to be invaluable. Yeah, man, working with him for 10 years, I'm gonna miss the guy. You know, we spent a lot of time on the road together and obviously talked often each week. So, uh, but he's just so smart, calculated, uh, has a great eye for talent. He's going to be great in recruiting when they have people on campus. He loves Vanderbilt. He loves Nashville. And so he's going to be a great ambassador uh, in, in that regard. And, and to go work for, you know, a, a guy that he played high school football, they're going to be in sync. I mean, they're, they're good friends. And Clark Lee, I've, I've spent some time around him too uh, at various places. And, and uh, uh, those are two guys that are going to just work work so well together with their personalities and just how well they know each other. And I could, I could go, we could do a whole podcast on what Barton's bringing to Vanderbilt, but we're, we're going to miss him at 24 seven sports. He helped us grow uh, uh, from just, you know, we had no users to become in the industry standard. And, you know, I, I look forward to seeing what those guys do at Vanderbilt. I wonder if he becomes the stars don't matter guy now that he's, he's going to be in the power five. I was almost more wondering if he's eventually going to, you know, be that, be an on-field coach, you know? I don't okay. Know. Yeah. I but could see that too. He, he's definitely not going to be the star. Don't, don't matter. <laughs> but he, he's not going to, he's, you know, he's not going to want us to put any shine. On, uh, he's wants us to rank all their guys low. So their, their peers don't, you know, reevaluate. And if there's players. anyone that's going to be able to unearth some hidden jewels and, and to kind of, uh, you know, find some of these hidden gems, it's going to be Barton Simmons. No question. No question. Again, we're proud of him. Yeah, I think the SEC has been put on notice. The director of scouting for 24-7 Sports, Barton Simmons, headed to Vanderbilt. Steve, thank you so much for joining us and can't wait to do this again. Take care, y'all. See ya. Happy New Year. All right, that is Steve Wilfong. You can follow him on Twitter at swilfong247. That'll do it for us. Thank you so much for tuning in to this edition of the 24-7 Sports Football Recruiting Podcast. Mm-hmm.